Hi, and welcome to the Church Builder Podcast with Pastor Dello Shields. We're so glad to have you join us. In today's episode, we have a very special guest. Pastor Dell is joined by Lane Schrantz from Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama. So let's check out today's episode. Well, good morning. Welcome to the Church Builder Podcast. So glad that you're with us for this episode, and I'm so happy to have with me today Lane Schrantz from Church of the Highlands. Lane, it's good to have you with us. I am honored to be with you, Pastor Dale. That's a great privilege to spend a little bit of time together. Uh, Lane and I have been friends. I think I can use that word to qualify our relationship for several years now, and I just love him. He has a tremendous heart, and so, again, so glad that you're here. Lane, just uh, for the folks that don't know you, would you just take a moment, tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and let folks in on your life just a bit. Yeah, I'm uh, privileged and honored to uh, work at Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama. I get to work with my former youth pastor, Pastor Chris Hodges. We go back actually 30 years when he was my youth pastor in Colorado Springs, Colorado, where I grew up. And uh, it's been a, an amazing journey to uh, be under his leadership, even as a high school student. Then he transitioned back to his home church in my 20s. He, he moved back to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where he was from, and then decided to plant a church in Birmingham. And we felt, my wife at that time, uh, five years and uh, pregnant and a one-and-a-half-year-old baby girl, we uh, felt called to uh, raise our own support because Pastor Chris couldn't pay us and come be on the team at Church of the Highlands. So I was the first staff member, self-supported, and the only staff member for the first year of the church. And uh, it's been an amazing 18-and-a-half years here at Church of the Highlands down in Birmingham. Wow, 18-and-a-half years now. It's hard to believe that uh, uh, you guys have been going for that period of time now. (laughs) Yeah, it is hard to believe. Sometimes it feels like it's been 30, 40 years, and other times it's only been five. <laughs> I can certainly identify with that. You know, Lane, uh, I didn't realize that you were on the first floor of everything starting there. I guess maybe I knew it, but just didn't, hadn't thought about it recently. Uh, so you've actually been engaged in the, the early stages of church planting. What were some of the lessons or some of the, you know, people look at Church of the Highlands now and say, what, my goodness, it's incredible, uh, 40, 50,000 people that now attend on a weekend. I can't even count the number of campuses you guys have. But uh, talk about some of those early days. Maybe it will encourage a pastor who's a church planter right now yeah the church planning journey like it is for so many was portable we were in a high school for our first six and a half years we are actually still very portable as we have 11 portable locations now about half of our campuses 11 of our 22 are portable and so that's a reality that we still live in at church of the highlands 18 years in but uh it was a testimony to obviously the spirit of god god's favor has been on it but as far as what Pastor Chris did extremely well. We built our church on a culture of prayer. 21 days of prayer and fasting started for us the month before we launched the church in wow. January of 2001. He's kept that a main focus for all these years that we would pray and fast every January. So I would say our prayer culture is probably paramount to the success of Highlands. But then when you get to the nuts and bolts, I think every church planner needs to uh, abandon a little bit of their creativity or their innovative spirit and go with some proven models. Yeah, I think what Pastor Chris did well is he studied successful churches all over America. And for many years, he studied what worked and he didn't try to come up with anything on his own. He went with proven models and really put together a recipe of doing church that had some very healthy systems that he didn't create, but he learned from other churches and kind of put them all into one. And it's been an amazing journey. So just not having just a clear vision, but also having clear systems to deliver the vision will help any church planter out there. 
You know, Lane, I know from passion of your heart and the times we've had conversations together, and obviously one of the areas where you uh, focus a lot of your attention is on the GROW conference, the GROW process, the GROW resources that come out of Highlands. And you kind of touched on some of that. Let me uh, draw you back to a word you used a moment ago, and that's the word systems. Obviously, uh, to grow a good church, you have to have not just a good vision, but you also have to have good systems. Talk a little bit about that for a moment for those that might not be familiar with that word when it comes to church life. Yeah, I think a lot of times, unfortunately, it's a misperception, but the word system seems not spiritual for some people. Exactly. They feel like they've got to get a fresh word or a fresh rev and really miss out on the fact that God is a God of systems. I mean, we are made in his image and our body operates on dozens of systems from our cardiovascular system to our nervous system. Really, a system is what everyone is always using. Everyone has a system to do whatever they're doing. But a lot of times they're frustrated because their church isn't growing and they don't realize the system they're using is broken or it's not effective. And so a system is is purely a a way to deliver the vision. What are Mm. we actually doing to accomplish what we want to see accomplished? Right. I heard someone say, it may have been you or Chris or or some other place I heard it, but the phrase you used a moment ago, everybody has a system. It's just not always a healthy one. Your systems are designed to produce the results you're getting. And so if you're not happy with the results, it's often very important to go back and look at the systems, right? That's exactly right. We tell the story. I mean, it's commonly told by Pastor Chris, but I've seen it happen in many places where people actually get more attached to their system than they actually do their vision. They say they want to reach their city. They want to see people get saved, but they won't adjust their services. They're in love with their preaching style or their length of worship or different things that lost people aren't attracted to. And they're more in love with what they do than they are with what they want to accomplish. Yeah, that's awesome. I think you used a phrase there as well that may be a little different for some folks and just want to have you to expand on it a bit. Our weekend services at church are uh, oftentimes we don't understand that we actually have a target audience and the target audience is really not the people that are already in the pews or in the seats. The target audience are the folks that are haven't yet walked through the doors. And one of the things that I think uh, I know that Highlands does so well and the part of there is really creating weekend experiences that provide opportunities for those that don't know Christ to come into a an appropriate environment with good systems that allows them an opportunity for experiencing Jesus in a very personal way. Talk about the strategy, the systems, the way you approach your weekend services and why you think of the lost as being the ones that you're actually targeting each weekend. Well, I think it it just really goes down to what Jesus most concerned with. And he made it very clear that he would leave the 99 to find the one. Mm, Good. Unfortunately, church over the years, over the you know, decades, even longer than that, and the church has been focused on the 99, build services that we like to attend. We build worship sets that we want to sing, and we preach messages that we want to hear, and uh, and we we have to remember what Jesus cares about, and really, I think he's pleased when we gather and worship, but he's more pleased when a lost person comes home. Wow. So good. I think you're right. I think we have people that have their own uh, worship wars in churches and fight over the carpet and all kinds of things and fail to remember that uh, we actually were given a mission by Jesus to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and our services should reflect an emphasis upon that, right? Exactly. You know, one of the things, Elaine, that I know that you are very passionate about as well is the raising up of leaders, the training of leaders. 
You've been uh, with Pastor Chris for many, many years in a support role, very active leadership role, but as a part of the support team as well there. Talk to me about the value of, uh, you know, sometimes people think of it as the, if you will, the senior pastor, the lead pastor as being uh, the most important person in the church and, and have that mindset that any other role is insignificant. And I want you to talk about team mindset and team ministry and what you've learned over the years about the value of teams, the value of support in church environments. Yeah, I think one of the things Pastor Chris has always done extremely well is helped everyone understand the value of their role and that regardless of whether you're on the stage or you're in the accounting office, whether you're in the parking lot or taking care of a baby in the nursery, that you are all on one team and the team is trying to move the ball down the field and win lost people for Jesus. And so when people do get saved or they discover their purpose or or they find freedom or they start making a difference that that we all win. It's not just about whoever's speaking or whoever's leading worship, but that we do this team. And he's done a great job of making sure that in our church staff culture that we don't make speaking the kind of the pinnacle of leadership. Yeah, good. Can, an influencer and a great leader and you can reach your full potential in other areas. And we celebrate that. And I think it's something that is a strength here at Highlands, that we're not just focused on positional leadership. Talk about what you look for in in potential leaders that can come alongside, be a part of the team, move that ball down the field. What, what are the qualities that really catch your attention when you're looking for someone to move to new levels of ministry responsibility? We really are looking out all the time. We have a system in place we call it the growth track that will help people with their next steps. We want them to discover their purpose, and we've built a volunteer culture at Highlands that's based on their gifts and their callings, not on the needs of the church. A lot of times churches recruit volunteers because they have a need they want to fill. And we don't want to recruit. We want to discover. We want to find out what's in the people that God brings us. And so that's the overall system for that. But then me specifically, I'm responsible for all 22 campuses and overseeing those campus pastors and the pipeline of new campus pastors. And that's how I do it. It's how Pastor Chris trained me to do it. And I think we do it all the way through our organization. And we really lean in, Pastor Dale, into really a chemistry first. Just you notice somebody when you like being around them, enjoy conversations with them. We pay attention to that and then we start to peel back and see, okay, what have they been leading? Oh, they've been leading a small group for two years. And well, how successful has their small group been? Oh, wow, they've, they've not even been able to fit everybody in their small group. So you start to notice once you kind of have that connection. And then we have those systems in place to kind of further their, their leadership. And I, I always feel like once I've kind of leaned in and, and identified a person and see potential in them, I always try to give them a problem to solve. Maybe the parking team is struggling and maybe they're just a great small group leader, but they've never done anything with the volunteers. And I'll say, hey, I'd love for you to just come make the best parking team in, in all of the church and, and just see what they can do and then kind of walk that journey that way. I think so often in our churches, we're always saying we need more volunteers or we need more leaders. I think it's probably more of a prevalent term. I think what I hear you saying is that there actually are leaders around us. We just have to develop a capacity to identify them and get them through a process that moves them forward. And the first thing is just the chemistry. Talk a bit more about that chemistry. That's a valuable thing for us to recognize in people that really puts them on the radar for us. Yeah, I think development of any leader, it takes time and much easier to develop people that you like being around. Pastor Chris, at this point, he doesn't do all the hiring at Highlands, but when he did, he would just say it this way, I don't want to hire anybody that I don't want to spend my day off with. And that's kind of a good picture of how we view 
leadership development, that we want to have that personal connection where I, I actually enjoy being with you. So I'm going to more easily spend the time needed to develop you into the leader that God's called you to be. So actually that chemistry thing is really a God-designed way of identifying people to connect with, right? A hundred percent. I love the phrase that Pastor John Epstein coined called divine flow. Just meet somebody and you feel like they're, for some reason, I just like them. For some reason, I feel like we're going to be friends for a long time. For some reason, I enjoy it when I'm having lunch with them or spending time with them. And you can really use that as a great foundation because then then you're able to work out the little kinks of leadership and personality issues and work ethic issues and all of that. It's so much easier to develop somebody that you actually enjoy. Uh, so then you move kind of, I've got the chemistry with this person. I like being around them. You know, we have good conversation together, good kindred connection. And then now I'm going to take a look at what is their history? What's their track record? What have they done already that would give me some indication of some leadership capacity in their life. Is that kind of the second step in the process? Yeah, absolutely. And I actually just taught this to our staff over a month ago. Uh, I think Jesus did this with all of his disciples and what I saw Pastor Chris had done in my life. And that is you see it. So you got to see something in them. Then you've got to say it. And then you've got to send them. You see it. You say it, so you got to speak it over them. I see a leader in you. I see a pastor in you. I see a world changer in you. But then you got to send them. You got to give them something to do, and then you got to repeat it. The first thing you see is probably potential, and then speak that potential over them. But then you give them an assignment. You send them out to do something, and then you have to see it again. But now you have to see what they've done well and what they've done wrong, and you have to say it and encourage them and also correct them. And then you got to give them a new assignment. And it's just a cycle of just continually seeing things and saying things and then sending them to the next level. And that's what Pastor Chris has done in my life. And the, the most difficult part of that for all of us, we would much rather be encouraged than be corrected. I like to say encouragement makes you feel good, but correction makes you grow. And so that's a part of that whole process. And that's built into a culture, right? You begin to create a feedback culture that's that's positive and good, and it's not a negative thing to get feedback. It's a positive thing. That's exactly right. The way I describe it at Highlands, we have an instant feedback culture. So we don't wait a quarterly review or an annual review. As soon as it's appropriate, we will give feedback to any leader. We're not going to call them out and embarrass them in the moment or in front of people. But as soon as it's appropriate, we'll bring the correction. It never feels good, but you know that the people are for you. I know Pastor Chris is for me, correcting me. He's not just correcting me to be mean. He's correcting me because he believes in me and he wants me to win. He wants me to grow. We just try to teach our teams to embrace that feedback. You can't say enjoy it because I don't enjoy it, but you can embrace it. And you realize too that there's an end result and that's that it's making me better. That's right. I, I like to think of that word as a coaching word. In fact, when we coach people, it's not so much uh, coaching in the sense of just trying to somehow point out somebody's flaws or somebody's weaknesses, but we're coaching you so that we can be a better team, we can win, you can be a, a better star player, and so there's a purpose in it. How do you feel like you create that environment in people to accept a feedback culture? What helps them to uh, to be comfortable or more comfortable with that? Again, it's not always easy, but uh, what makes the environment at Highlands more conducive to people saying, yeah, thank you so much for that feedback. Well, I think the culture actually snowballs on you when there's very few people, when the church is small, it takes years of that culture and years of stories and examples of how you can now look back and see how much that feedback culture has made a difference and help people grow. And so the longer you have that culture, the more people trust it. And for example, 
the first campus pastor that worked under me, you know, I had a lot of time invested, a lot of the positive, a lot of the equity built up, a lot of hours of doing things together, a sure. lot of one-on-one. But now 18, well, actually we're 14 years into multi-site and say a new campus pastor is now working under me. I probably have not spent that amount of time pouring in, but I have a 14-year track record so that they know because of the other people around them and my reputation that when I'm bringing that correction that I'm not against them, but I'm actually for them because they see the track record of the people around me. That is so good. And that kind of, again, like you say, it snowballs. It begins to say, well, this is what we do around here, and it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And and the end result are we all get better, and the and the mission of the church gets accomplished. That's exactly right. Well, Lane, we're just about done today, but I'm going to turn the corner really quickly here on on one other part of your life that a lot of people don't know about. That's your race car driving experiences and journeys. Tell the folks a little bit about that part of your life and uh, what you've learned from it and uh, why that's a valuable part of your life. Well, thanks for uh, bringing that up. It's fun for me to talk about. I was born and raised in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And when I was just a baby, my dad started a towing and recovery business. He bought a tow truck and About that same time, he bought a race car and started competing in the very unique, there's nothing like it, the uh, annual Pikes Peak International Hill Climb, where men and women get in cars, motorcycles, trucks, and race up to the summit of Pikes Peak on the road. It's a race against the clock. It's not fender to fender like NASCAR or anything like that. And I just grew up around tow trucks and race cars and just wanted to be like my dad. And so I have, uh, at this point, raced 26 years in the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. I'm thankful to have that opportunity. It's one week a year. It's not a lifestyle for me. I love being a pastor. I love working at Highlands, but I call it my annual hunting trip. A lot of guys understand what that's like. They spend a year planning for it, talking about it, thinking about it, dreaming about it, and then they go have a week with their buddies, and, and it's over. And that's basically what I do is just in a race car. Now, I don't think you'd ever mentioned this yourself, but there, at least on one or more occasions, you've actually won that, correct? Yes, I have three first-place finishes and nine second-place finishes. This year, I, I finished third place, but actually just had a lot stiffer competition, and we ended up finishing with our fastest time ever. So I set a personal record, and I finished fifth overall, which is actually the highest I've ever finished out of all the competitors. So That's incredible. That's I don't know if the folks have ever know much about Pikes Peak, but I believe it's about 14,000 feet uh, in altitude. Is that correct? That's correct, 14,115 feet. Well, you know the very last foot of that, I'm sure. Oh, yes. Yes. Well, several years ago, my wife and I were in Colorado Springs, and we uh, had a little extra time, so we thought, you know what, let's drive up Pikes Peak. And uh, we said, well, before we go, let's let's watch a video of what it's like to drive up. And the end result was we did not take that drive. So it is a very, very precarious kind of journey. So give us one lesson you've learned about life from a race car driver's perspective. Probably how to handle adversity race is very challenging. It starts at 9,000 feet in elevation, goes to 14,000 feet, 12.42 miles with 156 different corners. And and with you planning and preparing for a year, there's times where things go wrong and things break. Um, I've even lost a friend in the race uh, in 2001 my first year at Highlands. Uh, A friend of mine was killed. And so it's very challenging. There's a lot of disappointments and uh, you learn we have to get up on the mountain in the dark three in the morning to prepare for practice at 530 in the morning and and things go wrong. The car breaks. There's challenges and very rarely do you have a a super smooth, perfect week. And so I, I think I thrive now because of that 
when things go wrong. So even in church life, there's a lot of problems, a lot of challenges that are unexpected. And I actually thrive when there's something that doesn't go as planned. And so I think I got that from racing. I would say those are some very valuable life lessons and especially church life lessons because indeed uh, dealing with uh, church life and dealing with people uh, represents some problems, some difficulties, and we all have to press through them and prepare for them. Well, Lane, thank you so much for being with us today. I know that people were blessed by your your insights and we're so grateful for you, so grateful for Pastor Chris and for all that uh, Church of the Highlands represents in today's Christian world, the influence it has, the Grow Network that's a part of uh, impacting so many churches. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Look forward to having you back again on the Church Builder Podcast. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Dale, for your influence in my life and really on the kingdom and what you've done for so many. You're a legend in my mind and I'm thankful for your friendship and honored to be a part. Thank you, Lane. God bless, and we'll look forward to talking again. Thank you for joining us today. If you haven't already done so, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, rate and review us on iTunes, and share with your friends on social media. Be sure to join us next time for the Church Builder Podcast.